Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, I know that it is Pentecost Sunday, and this is the Holy Spirit's well-deserved day to shine. And I promise you that I have a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. But while we were doing our Bible study on Monday night, I noticed that there was this single sentence that was missing from the proscribed lectionary text in our psalm today. And, you know, I just had a hard time letting it go. You know, in life, sometimes it's the things that are missing. It's the things that are not said. It's the things that are overlooked that end up telling us more than what is easily said or heard. But let me take a quick step back, because not all of you maybe have Lutheran or liturgical backgrounds. You may not all know how we come up with the texts that we have on every Sunday morning. Well, we use this thing that is called the Revised Common Lectionary. It was finalized in 1992, kind of began uh, in the 1960s and 70s, and basically it is a three-year cycle of readings that sort of moves you through the major festivals of the church year and the different seasons of the church year. It provides a broad survey of the, uh, of the whole Bible, and each year of these three kind of focuses on Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, Luke's Gospel, and then John, as you heard today, is sort of mixed in throughout. Now, on the whole, I think the lectionary is a good thing. Right? I don't have to come up with some super creative sermon series. Um, also, I don't get to choose the texts. I, I, I sort of have to deal with the biblical passages in whatever context in which we all find ourselves. And while I applaud pastors who can spend five years working verse by verse through the book of Romans or the Gospel of John, I kind of like this wide array or survey of Old and New Testament texts. But those who formatted the letter, the, the lectionary, were kind of at their mercy. And they made some curious choices, right? Kind of like the, the news media. You see, they get to choose what of the news you actually hear. And the same thing is true of the lectionary. There's a whole Bible to choose from, and they sort of chose which scriptures would be read aloud on Sundays. And there are some pretty glaring omissions. Sometimes I'll read in the Bible and I'll think, why isn't this in the lectionary? Maybe there's some kind of conspiracy going on to keep some of the word of God from me and my people. But it seems that in most cases, the omissions from the lectionary are the result of trying not to have some super harsh sounding scriptural passages or really judgmental sounding passages in the Sunday reading. And that might make some sense. I mean, if you don't know that the pastor is going to talk about a particular scripture, then it might just come out of the blue to have this really harsh passage about God's judgment or sinners or something like that might create more confusion than clarity. There, there are some very contextual passages in the Bible that would strike the average hearer today as bizarre or very harsh if they're just spoken and, and then they just sit there and they're not explained. 
But today we have an example of one such omission that I couldn't help but to comment on. For I could make the case that the omission of this single sentence is actually a window into what is so wrong in the church today. And, I have not forgotten that it is Pentecost Sunday, a disregard for the Spirit-authored Word of God. It's in our reading from the Psalter today, Psalm 104. We read thus today, May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. That was verses 34 and 35 of Psalm 104. But I added in a bit that the lectionary says to take out. So th this is a lectionary. It's a book with all of the readings. And, and many times we'll read our lessons from this. We uh, have this lovely King James Version that, as you know, we read from uh, the Gospel as well. But if you look in this, it will say, for Psalm 104 today, we are to have only verses 24 to 34 and 35b. You see, if it's, a, if it's a long verse, you can break it down into an A and B section, or maybe even A, B, and C. And so they say, well, forget the first part of 35. Just do 35b. Now, interestingly, I looked in the, the LBW, our green hymnal, to see what it prescribes for today. Psalm 104, verses 24 to 34. Not even 35b. So sometime between 1978 and 1992, some group of people got together and said, we're going to put 35b in, but we're going to keep 35a out. What was 35a? Oh, it was this bit. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. So over and over and over and over, a group of people got together, read that verse, and said, nope, can't put that in the readings on Sunday. I mean, I guess it does sound kind of harsh, you know, but it's by no means unusual in the Psalms. In fact, the Psalms will often pray be a prayer to God, asking for God's judgment on the sinner. But these days, you know, we're just not too fond of that idea. I mean, aren't we all sinners, right? Um, even as the Pope said a few years ago, when asked about the most significant moral issue of our day, he said, who am I to judge? Well, you're the Pope, for starters, but... But you see, the exclusion of this one verse, it really does speak to, I think, a larger problem, which is that we have this simplified, one-dimensional understanding of the church's role. We have come to believe that the church is only a hospital for sinners and that our role is to take the wounded person and offer some kind of therapy so that, you know, we can all get better. And that is truly a part of our mission. We really do have a word of forgiveness to speak to sinners. We have a word of resurrection to speak to the grieving. We have a word of eternality to speak to the finite. But we preach the whole counsel of God. 
which speaks to every aspect of God's kingdom. It should speak to God's judgment of evil. It should speak to the reality that there are objectively worse sins than other sins. It should speak to our call for evangelism. It should speak to our need to defend the truth at all costs. It should speak to the call to suffer for the faith. In other words, the church doesn't just exist to utter warm and fuzzy theological ideas. We are not a life coach center. These are not therapy sessions. We speak here the spirit-written word of God. Just being a hospital for sinners, then it's not the full mission of the church. I think a better metaphor might be something like an embassy. You know, like you're in a foreign land and you can go to your nation's embassy and it's like you're in your own nation, right? It's your nation's property. And within that embassy, you can congregate and fellowship with fellow citizens who, who, you know, get you because you're from the same place. And your fellow patriots, they might even offer you some care or help if you are in need. But at some point you have to leave the embassy and go out into that foreign land to fulfill your mission. We represent God in all of his saving and beautiful work and all of his truth too. We dare not sacrifice one for the other. But overlooking a verse like this, it, it, it highlights, that, that highlight God's prerogatives to judge sin, well, it smacks exactly of doing that, of sacrificing truth for grace. <laughs> so because these words were, of course, penned by a man, but inspired by the Spirit, in fact, the word inspire and spirit are the same word, I'll say them again without any hesitation or embarrassment. In fact, I dare say they give me some peace and comfort when I hear of horrible injustices in the world, when I see wicked people doing evil things. Psalm 104, verse 35a reads, Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Now, I promised that I would get back to the topic at hand on Pentecost Sunday. God's Spirit. Well, I hope that you have picked up on the reality that the topic of God's Word assumes the work of God's Spirit. The Spirit has surely revealed Himself in powerful ways, as at the day of Pentecost. And on that day, a miracle of understanding took place as people from all over seemed to speak in their own language, but everyone could understand what they were saying. Later in the New Testament, we have the gift of things like tongues and prophecies and healing. And all of these things speak to the truth of the testimony of the risen Christ. This was truly the Spirit working to draw men and women to confess Christ as their Lord. And while I do believe that at some point these apostolic sign gifts like prophecy and healing in tongues did, for the most part, cease, the Spirit continues to speak through us through these revealed words of Scripture.
There will never be a new word that anyone could ever speak that is said to be from the Spirit of God that contradicts the Scriptures. No, the Scripture is the Spirit's magnum opus. And if we want to know the same kind of unity and harmony that we see in Acts 2, then we should commit to the source of the Spirit's revelation, the Scripture. In fact, if you consider those church bodies that have committed to Scripture alone as their sole source of authority, you'll find a remarkable degree of unity. But those who seek ecstatic experiences in the name of the Spirit, or private messages from God, or if they hold to some undefinable capital T tradition, you'll see they actually don't have much unity at all. The Spirit of God, you see, is not really interested in bringing attention to himself. Nor is the Spirit of God on some kind of quest to constantly give us proofs so that we will believe Jesus is the Christ. The Spirit of God points to Jesus. The Spirit of God gives us strength. The Spirit of God convicts us when we sin. And so if you have felt called or draw nearer to Christ, if you have been convicted of sin, if you confess Christ as your Lord, then the living Spirit is with you today, as he was with those thousands on that first day of Pentecost. And I would also suggest that a sure sign that the Spirit is with you is that when all of God's word is spoken in your sight, that rather than blush or faint or recoil, you gladly hear it and welcome it. Amen. Amen.